number of studies have shown that access to energy and economic growth are perfectly correlated. You literally cannot end poverty unless you also end energy poverty. Welcome to the Shio.world podcast, where you will meet women who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Your host for today's podcast is Hannah, Shio Venture in Residence. Welcome to Shio.world. I am so excited to be talking to you today, Connie, of Growing Greener Innovations, Venture to Venture. Tell me what is Growing Greener Innovations? It's a great name, but tell me more about it. Okay, so uh, it takes a tiny bit of explanation, but let me give you the rundown. So the, the basics of it are we manufacture battery energy storage systems, which doesn't sound super cool, but it's actually, I've been told that batteries have become sexy. So who knew, right? Um, <laughs> we, who knew? we make batteries because uh, we wanted to get into the space or, or more specifically, I wanted to get into the space of uh, creating a product that was environmentally friendly, but even more importantly, help to conquer uh, some social injustices, in particular energy poverty. Uh, and so batteries is a pretty key part of renewable energy. Um, and in particular, our technology, um, which is patented, um, allows people to get access to power without the need for technicians and electricians. And anybody who's familiar with some of the um, challenges in, in developing countries or any country actually where electricity is not easily available will know that having uh, an ex door neighbor who's an electrician or an engineer isn't, isn't every day for most people. So being able to access things like renewables means that you had to have either a technician or something that was plug and play. And that's where we came in. I love that you have come in on this of saying it's not just a battery. This is around energy poverty that is happening. And how do we get this to be more accessible to more people? Because it seems so many times that innovations come in and it's only accessible to the rich. I'll just yep. say it because we know this is going to happen. We will talk about Elon because there's freaking batteries involved, right? Yep. But it's like, if you have the money, you can, you can have innovation here. So how is your innovation being used currently mm -hmm. and how is it really addressing you? You mentioned a little bit, but can you unpack a little bit on that energy poverty and how it's addressing there? Sure. So one of the things with our technology is um, it's actually the patent is modular energy storage. Uh, and lots of people talk and say, oh, we're modular, which means that you can bring in an electrician and they can make changes at a very high cost. And look, we added batteries. Great. Of course. Um, that's not what we talk about when we say modular. When we say modular, we talk about literally stacking batteries together with like Lego, with no cables or any other things involved. Um, and anybody can do it. So literally we could power um, a refugee camp of a million people and you wouldn't require a single technician. Uh, so that's something that's very unique uh, in the world right now. And it really, I'm kind of talking to the second part first, the, the energy poverty. But one of the things I discovered when I started to look into kind of the bigger energy picture was that most people really only had three things in common when it came to energy. Uh, three specific needs. First off, had to be plug and play because quite frankly, if you're sub-Saharan Africa in a rural village, you're, you're not living next door to an electrician. That is reality. Yeah. Uh, so it had to be plug and play. It had to be portable because that is our life, period. No matter where you are, portability becomes absolutely crucial. And it had to be scalable. 
um, because our needs are always going up. Uh, in fact, there's a name for it. It's called the Watt addiction. So it's kind of like, you know, you get a new computer. I know, doesn't that make it sound cool? Um, it's not that cool, actually, but um, <laughs> it's actually a real problem. But uh, what happens is it's kind of like your computer. You get a bigger fancier computer and then the software gets bigger and fancier you need a bigger computer well the same kind of thing happens with electricity you get access to some and then that allows you to get access to more devices and tools that you need more electricity and so on so it had to be scalable um, and those were the only things that were common and when i kind of sat back and i thought about that i thought well nobody said anything about transmission lines or distribution lines nobody talked about utilities um, so I really kind of sat back and thought, well, how do I solve this problem? And the biggest piece was really around this idea of plug and play. And when I looked at it, it really became effectively trying to find a way to put the engineer and the electrician in the box. Um, and I always like to jo joke that that's where engineers belong is in the box, but. Uh, I don't think they like that joke, but I get it. I, I, I <laughs> My dad's it. an engineer. I'm like, put him in the box. <laughs> put him in the box. Uh, I know I say it all the time and they just roll their eyes at me in, in the back here. But um, anyway, what we did is, is the system, the electronics in the battery system effectively allow you to have a variable input, which means you could be charging it with anything from a hand crank all the way to a hydro dam or the grid or anything in between. It could be a bicycle, doesn't matter. So you can have any kind of input. It can have any kind of output. So you could be charging a single cell phone or an entire city. Um, so it had a variable output. And in between, you had a variable number of batteries. So you could be stacking two batteries or 2000 batteries. So there was a lot of variability. And to do that, we had to make the system really smart. Um, and that's where our technology really kind of comes into play. Because what a lot of people don't recognize when you talk about energy poverty, I mean, Canada um, and US, most of the, the CEO ventures, you know, around the world, we live in countries where electricity is readily available. Uh, and the cost isn't even that high for most people. But that's just not the world. The world actually has a totally different scenario. When you look at the bigger picture, there's more than a billion people that have zero access to, to energy. Yeah. That's an eighth of the world. When you talk about not enough energy to cook with um, in any way other than burning some kind of biomass, which is horrible on the environment and even worse on personal health, yes, is 2.6 billion. Do you know that like on that note that more than 2 million people a year die from inhalation from cooking smoke and so forth? basically acute lung. Two million? More than malaria or tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. it's, in, it's from, of course, it's mostly affecting women because they are the ones doing most of the cooking. Yes. So it's a huge problem, right? And that's, that's a third of the world's population. And then you get to what's called domestic energy poverty. And domestic energy poverty means you might be connected to the grid, but you might only get energy for you know, say a couple hours a day, or it might only be a low voltage, or this is just rampant blackouts. That's more than half the world, half the world's population. So we, I think sometimes we forget, you know, living where we live, just how much of a challenge it is for other people. Um, so when I kind of saw that bigger picture, that's what made me actually decide to burn the ships, as they say, and start the business. Because I thought, you know, I knew I had a product that would have a good market that I could sell. But that didn't make me leave the, the comfort of a full-time paying job. Uh, yeah. It was when I realized just what a huge impact it had on everybody else in the world. And I thought, you know what? This disproportionately affects women. 
um, which is something that's of huge importance to me. And I'm going to go for it because I think I can make a change. I can make something better. Uh, and that really was kind of where I got into it. It was really the idea of being able to make social change through business. Uh, that was the fundamental thing for me. And the battery, well, honestly, that was that was how. But it's not the why. It's just the how. It's very cool how. I mean, because, you know, they've told me now batteries are sexy. So, you know, cool how, but it, the why really comes in that whole energy poverty part. But I think the cool how is because you are putting that engineer in the box, that, that you are removing barriers for the rest of the world to be able to have access to it, right? It's not just like another, it's one of my pieces in innovation is technology is that we keep on building things of the people that are actually building it, which are usually white men. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have everyone in the table to really look at it holistically, what a solution would look like. And this is a solution for more than just half the planet, because we can see it being used in all of those instances. And I bet we can also see it being used in lots of big money-making corporations that can fund you. And then yeah. we can provide this to the other half of the world because that's what they need. Yeah. Yeah, actually, one of the things, uh, and there's a really neat um, environmental piece to this that a lot of people don't recognize. We're actually uh, in preparation to launch um, a residential system, effectively. We'll be launching it here in Canada first. And it's interesting, a lot of people don't realize the amount of emissions that are produced by your electricity is actually varies based on the time of day. So during low peak times, we're able to use more renewables, wind and solar, et cetera, right? But during high peak times, they turn on what's called peaker plants. And peaker plants are almost exclusively natural gas or coal. So that dinner time energy, when it's peak, is actually creating a lot more emissions than it does during non-peak times. Um, and just to give you an example of the difference, in Ontario, your average or non-peak emissions is 20 grams of carbon dioxide equivalents per kilowatt hour of energy. Mm. The peak emissions is 394 grams of wow. carbon dioxide equivalents per kilowatt hour. And it's not really, I know the grams and things like that probably won't make a lot of sense to people, but it's the difference, right? So one of the things that our residential system will do is that it gives people the opportunity to do a couple of things. First off, get into something that'll set you up for uh, renewables like solar on your rooftop or lowering your emissions and things like that by basically using the battery to make sure you're using non-peak time energy. So effectively, you buy the electricity when it's usually cheaper um, at non-peak times of the day, stored in the battery, and then when the peak load is on, you use it from the battery. And so you actually use lower emissions. And it's a huge difference. Average household over the course of a year, if they're not using non-peak energy, would be producing about 15,000 grams of carbon di dioxide equivalents. But at peak energy times, that is just shy of 300,000 grams. I mean, it's night and day. That's night and day. Yeah. So this residential system will allow people have an in-home backup. They're set up for solar when they want to add it. You can scale it. You can add extra batteries if you want it to be bigger later. So you can start small and build onto it and you lower your footprint. And in areas like Ontario, where they pay time of use fees, so they pay more for their electricity at peak hours, they actually get a savings on their electrical bill. So that's kind of something we're launching um, this year. 
Wow, that's amazing. So right now, talk about who your customers are. You're going into residential. That's great. Who are your customers right now? It just sounds like such a game changer kind of invention. And and yeah, so what does the future look like for you and who are your customers? Well, we're just kind of going through the commercialization stage right now. So the early customers were anybody who was willing to buy, because <laughs> that's what you do to keep afloat, right? And thank you to the early adopters. And thank you to the early adopters out there. Uh, a lot of our small systems we released first went to people in camping, actually. People used uh, CPAP machines while they're going camping, for example. Yeah. Our little units, like a few hundred bucks and you're you're good to go, runs all your devices and all that good kind of stuff. Those were our early customers. Um, where we're going, um, really, it's the, <laughs> I'm going to use the Robin Hood here, rob from the rich to pay, to uh, give the money to the poor. We don't rob anybody, don't worry. But the, the uh, big corporations use systems like these, this type of technology to save money because they pay so much less if they can lower that peak time use and, and their peak demand. So the money that they would pay for those systems helps us offset the costs uh, for people in other areas where, quite frankly, it's just not as affordable. Uh, so that is definitely part of our philosophy. The other piece with it is actually, and this is kind of my big grand vision or part of it, but basically because the system is fully plug and play, eventually when the whole thing is fully commercialized, you'll be able to go into your garage or basement, wherever your system is stored, pull a battery off the rack, go camping with it, come back, put it back on the rack. Oh, I'm going to mow my lawn. I'm going to snap it onto my lawnmower. Um, you can go out to the park and have a picnic and you, whatever you want to do, you just add and remove them from the racks as you need because it's fully plug and play. You don't need an electrician. So that's kind of part of where our bigger picture is. The other thing that's really kind of um, unique in what we do is within the battery industry, there's a, there's a lot of people, no, actually, I think we're the only ones who don't do it this way. So let's just say the norm is to spot weld a bunch of cells together. So an individual cell, if you can imagine, is like an oversized AA battery. And they spot weld them together in, you know, say 200 of them to create a bigger battery. And what happens is if one battery, one battery fails or one spot weld fails, they throw out all 200 cells. You mentioned wow. that? One fails. They don't know which one it is. It could be in the production of them. It could be in the use of them. One fails and the whole thing is trashed. By contrast, we don't do that. We don't spot weld. So we actually built the system such that the it uses kind of a, a pressure contact is the best way to describe it. Uh, and effectively, the cells are all individually housed in it. So we can tell right down to the individual cell what cell is a problem if there is one. So we can replace one cell and we keep the other 199. If someone actually needs servicing right now, the, there is no service in the battery industry. If a battery fails, even if it's a single cell, the whole thing is trashed. By contrast, we could have uh, a battery come back, replace a single cell and put it back into production or sell it as a refurbished unit, which you know, is gonna have 99% of the capacity as, as though you had bought it new. So those are some of the things that are really quite unique to what we do. I love it. <laughs> yeah, where do you see your company in the future? I mean, I'd say a year from now, but I'm really interested in where you see yourself in five to 10 years. Well, you know what the, the plan is, uh, you know, there's some other, pieces of technology that I've worked on um, that I can't announce yet because I want to get my patents in place, uh, mostly because I don't want 
um, the big, big corporates to gobble it up and, and make their profit off of it when I'm hoping yes. to use it for social change. Uh, but if, eventually the, the idea is I want to create a series of technologies that will allow a person to live a fully clean, sustainable lifestyle without the requirement of having to be tied to a big corporation of some kind, utilities, et cetera. So you should be able to get clean, drinkable water anywhere, anytime you don't require utility. Clean energy anywhere, anytime, no utility. Um, so kind of building out that idea that you should be able to stand alone and operate and live a sustainable and full life um, without needing to go back to the big corporates all the time. Is growing greener innovations actually going to get us off the grid? Uh, yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> the grid is actually, it's interesting because I think the grid will stay, but the yeah. grid will become a support for. It won't be the, the real kind of meat behind it. One of the things that happens with um, energy storage and actually smart cities in particular, when we talk about new incoming technologies like electric vehicles, we actually have a bit of a problem with the grid. So some people are aware of this and some aren't. Um, electric vehicles are a huge demand on the electrical grid. And right. right now, yeah, I know, right? Right now in a lot of neighborhoods that say, you know, we're built in the 50s, if you plugged in two electric cars on a level two charger on the same street at the same time, you'll have a blackout. Two. <laughs> so what happens when everybody has them? Uh, so one of the ways to solve this problem is what's called decentralized energy storage. So if you think about the grid being like a pipe that electricity passes through like water would, like a hose, um, instead of having making the pipe bigger, you have buckets all over the place where energy is stored so that when demands are really high, you don't have to use, you don't have to push it through that pipe. And the difference here is that you don't have to upgrade the infrastructure, which would cost trillions of dollars across North America. Um, and, you, and you are able to use more renewables because you don't, you're not reliant on peaker plants. You load up your buckets, if you will, at low times and use renewables, and then that energy is locally available to help offset those, those loads. And that's where it'll help with things like electric vehicles. What about the environmental footprint? Because there's been a lot of pushback even on the electric vehicles of saying, you know what, this is better, it's longer, but it's like the batteries have an incredible bad footprint too on how they're made, even to, you know, if mm -hmm. the car goes down, then what happens? It still goes into a landfill. Like there's a lot of conversation around people are acting like that's the solution, but there's a, still a lot of under- 100%. That's actually why, or one of the big reasons why I wanted a system that wasn't spot welded, because we're talking about, well, one 200th of the loss. When you have one cell go down, you replace one cell instead of 200. So that part of our manufacturing is very, very much targeted at reducing um, our carbon footprint. The other things that we're looking at is actually um, trying to source as local as possible. So there are actually some pretty cool companies. Um, one in particular that we've developed a relationship where um, they're actually looking at, and their technology is pretty cool, um, at uh, being able to refine and get the a lithium here in Alberta. So we won't have that big transportation component of the carbon footprint. And interestingly, and this is something that I have some moral issues about, but most of the lithium, probably 80% plus um, of the world comes from South America. 
But South America does not produce a single cell, not one. Every last bit of it gets shipped off out of South America, almost exclusively to Asia. And then they make it into cells and sell to companies like me, who then turn it into batteries and, and advanced electronics. Um, I have a real problem with that because <laughs> I think that a huge environmental imp uh, footprint here, because you're talking about, uh, let's say, um, I think you can buy a lithium iron cell for uh, $16. Say you have one cell and it was $16. How much of the cost of it was just shipping it from South America to Asia to Canada? Yeah, the shipping alone on something like that and it's huge. And, and the and the footprint of it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's huge. So one of the things that uh, I've explored a little bit is I had an opportunity to meet with the head of energy for the Inter-America's Development Bank. Uh, and we had an interesting conversation. And when I indicated I would love someday to have uh, cell production locally done in South America instead of seeing it shipped offshore, um, say that 10 times fast, shipped offshore. Um, he, uh, he just about followed his chair. He said, if you want to make cells in South America, we will back it. Um, oh, I so, bet, hey? Yeah, because I mean, you think about it, you're taking a natural resource from people there to ship it somewhere else where the better value for the product is realized. So um, I'm not cool with that. I'd love to see more like regional production of our stuff when we get there. Um, so we would have um, work with local partners doing extraction and, and making cells so that we can turn it into batteries instead of shipping it all over the world. Because I think batteries, their biggest carbon footprint comes in the logistics of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then how they're fusing them all together and all of those other, mm -hmm. other wonderful things. <laughs> you sound like you are so passionate. You are deeply involved. You hear this bigger vision. And I know that so many times I will just call it the old world of doing business. We look at these types of innovations and we say to the founders, how are you going to scale? How are you going to go, go, go? Where's your hockey stick? And, and you better get that check from Elon, which I'm wondering how many times that's been asked to you. Yeah. <laughs> it, to me, it sounds like you're in this for the long haul. And like, what's your, what's your vision on that or, or your response? You know, it's funny. Ever since the day I started, everybody has asked me what my exit strategy was. And it's like, Folks, I'm still working on an entry strategy at this point where you're asking how I'm going to exit. Let's start with how I'm going to enter. Um, and, you know, you're bang on. For me, this is a long haul thing. And my role in all of this might change. Um, you know, I've certainly learned a lot about myself and where my best skills are. Um, but the impact of this and where it's going is something I will always be involved in. This is something that I'm passionate about. And from the day I committed myself to doing this until the day I die, I will stay to working towards these goals, um, whether it's through the company or not. Um, so yeah, everybody wanted to know about exit strategies. There's been lots of, oh, um, Elon Musk of Canada. And I, I kind of cringe a little. because. Uh, no, please no. <laughs> yeah. I better than that. <laughs> I, I, I feel like uh, a lot of those products are made for the ultra wealthy. I mean, you can't actually buy a power wall right now unless you buy it with solar panels. And only in the US, they're not even selling it in Canada right now, which means you're looking at, let's say, thirty to forty thousand dollars. I mean, who can afford that? Even, you know, even a double income family, that's a stretch. Um, so these are products that right now are are a bit too elite for my taste. Uh, so, you know, we really hope to make a change there and get products out where people can start at something affordable like 
under a hundred dollars a month. And at year five, it's paid off uh, yes. instead of like 30 years and you've paid off your house, but you're still paying off your solar. Um, you know, like that's just crazy. Yeah. And it's so unrealistic for the world we're in also, you know, gone are the days where we, you know, it's very rare for someone to live in the same house for 30 years anymore. And so we need things like this, where we could take that system with us potentially, you know, and, and, and go through that. So I, I think it's incredible. And you were definitely, you know, this whole poverty energy, like that word was so interesting to me because I've worked in poverty in a different realm of employing people and uh, have quite often had employees where they couldn't even afford the electricity and those types of pieces. So it's really important that we address that type of technology uh, with this social issue. There's actually a, um, a number of studies that have shown that access to energy and economic growth are perfectly correlated. You literally cannot end poverty unless you also end energy poverty. So the Gates Foundation has said they're ending poverty. I'm going to work on the energy poverty part of that to see if we can accelerate the plan. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How can we help you? What is your ask to the community? Well, um, I guess first off, spread the word, um, because that's that's number one is there's always people out there, um, businesses that need this type of thing, people who might want it in their home. Um, That's a great, great way to help out. Uh, The other would be, you know, go out and buy a product, buy it when our residential comes out, there'll be a big announcement. Um, When that comes out, think about getting it in your home. You have a backup from working from home, you're safe money, you're going to be better on the environment, you're ready for solar when you can. Um, So yeah, I guess just support us by spreading the word. and, And if the product is helpful for you, then jump on board. Growing Greener Innovations. What's the website so they can go there and spread the word and buy all the batteries? <laughs> all the batteries. Uh, it's grengin.com. So G-R, engine, grengin. I wanted something I could trademark. .com. And that's it. That's amazing. Thank you, Connie, for the work you're doing and inspiring others and being in this innovation tech space with a social impact lens. It is refreshing. So check out Growing Greener Innovations with Connie Shio, Canadian Venture. Thank you for the work you're doing. Love you so much. Till next time. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shio.World podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women at Shio.World.